you, Father. Lord, it is amazing. It was amazing when we got saved. It's amazing that we're here today. It's amazing, God, the hope that you've given to us. You're an amazing God. Thank you so much, Father. We just pray, Lord, as we enter now into your word, that you would anoint it to our ears, to our hearts, God, and that it would change us in an amazing way, God. Please, Father, allow your word to take a permanent place within our hearts, a word that would conform us and transform us more and more into the image of our Savior. We love you, God. We love you for this word. We just ask for your anointing upon it. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Continuing our study on the life of Jesus, following his his steps in a chronological order. We find ourselves here at this passage. Luke 2, beginning with verse 39. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. The child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. They sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem and seeking him. It came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and, and I, we sought thee sorrowing. He said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Was it not that I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And so he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was subject to unto them, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Joseph increased, or Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and also in favor with God and man. Well, we find now Jesus, the age of 12. Remember, we started in the eternal, <laughs> in the beginning. That's where we found him. Then we followed him to Bethlehem as he was birthed. 
by a virgin girl. From there, we waited eight days, and then we saw that he was circumcised. And from circumcision, we follow him again to where he was about 40 days old. And that's where he meets up with Simeon and Annan, and they saw the consolation of Israel. Everybody's stoked. Everybody's excited. After two years, we don't see him again until he reaches the age of 12. That's where we're at today. And just maybe a kind of a a fast forwarding a bit from the age of 12 to the age of 30, they will be called the silent years. We're not going to hear anything about Jesus during that time period. With all that said, let's just look at verse 39. And of course, when we get towards the end, there'll be some personal application to apply to our lives. But it says, and when they had performed all these things according to the law, they returned unto, unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now, this is in connection with... Um, Jesus's dedication and also Jesus's um, um, or Mary's offering of purification. When all that was done, they started to they headed back to Nazareth. And in verse forty, Jesus grew, and he waxed strong in spirit, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of the Lord was upon him. Well, we come into this section now that I think maybe a lot of us, maybe we've had this experience from time to time. It's when you lose a kid. <laughs> Anybody ever lose a child? Be honest. Oh, man, how could you? No, I'm kidding. I, uh, I remember when we were um, still in the um, parochial school we were renting years ago. Um, I remember we were actually involved with foster care, too. We had a few foster children along with our six. So uh, I remember we went, I wanted to get home, watch the game, and I get a call from one of the guys from the church, and they say, hey, how are you doing? I go, I'm fine. It's a little weird to call me now. You know, yeah, how's the kids? I said, great. They're all laying down, taking a nap. He goes, all of them? I said, yeah. Why? What's the problem? I said, well, we still have Katie here. So <laughs> I left one of my kids. So it can happen. It sure does happen. But I don't know. I think I'd be a little bit more worried if I lost the son of God. <laughs> you know that. Oh, boy. But no, what we see here is their parents, they're going to Jerusalem every year at the feast. This is one of the mandatory feasts. It's not mandatory for Mary, but it is mandatory for Joseph. But we see Mary with Joseph at every feast. And it tells us that when he was eight years old, they go to one of these um, festivals, one of the Passover uh, festivals. And when the feast was over, the celebration was all over in verse 43. It, you know, they all start to pack up and they all start to return back home. But I, I know the language almost sounds like Jesus purposely tarried behind. Um, some think he did. Um, some think that it was just a mistake. It was a mix-up. Not sure. But be that as it may, he's there. And uh, the, the scary thing about it is um, Joseph and Mary didn't know it. And so if you follow along with me, verse 44, it says, And supposing him to have been in the company. Now, this is understandable. 
understandable, but you know, the, usually um, your relatives would travel with you, and if you lived in a small town such as Nazareth, maybe the whole the whole town would uh, make this pilgrimage. Now we know it's about 120 miles long, so it would take them a couple days to get there. There's there's three days of celebration, and so you just kind of put the math all together. There's a couple days you got to travel back, and everybody's stoked. Everybody's just been a grand time, so I can see how something like this this can happen. Well, look at verse 45. It says, "When they found him not, they turned back again." To Jerusalem, and they're seeking for him. And it came to pass that after three days, well, then they finally found him in the temple. All right, so I'm speculating they traveled, they didn't quite make it to Nazareth. They probably got so far, started looking for him, started to look for him among the cousins. And when he wasn't there, well, then he, the neighbors, hey, have you seen Jesus? You know, and uh, no, we haven't seen him since we've left. And now they're panicking, and it just seems that only the two of them head back to Jerusalem to look for him. And I kind of like this, you know, um, how Jesus is is finding himself. Well, they find him in the temple. Notice verse um, 46. It it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, but he's sitting in the midst of the doctors. These would probably be people like the scribes. These would be rabbis. These wouldn't be people who just are in um, uh, like the Pharisaic or Sadducee role as a priest. These are well-learned people. And, they, and this sort of like the Socratic method of sitting down and just firing questions back and forth and answering questions. And here in the midst of all this is a 12-year-old boy asking questions and answering questions. And it says in verse 42 that all them that heard him, they were astonished at his understanding and answers. Um, there was something about Jesus at that age. There, there was a sharpness to him. There, there was uh, answers he had that a normal 12-year-old um, wouldn't have. And some might say, well, that's because he was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. I, I don't think so. Because he grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God. Telling me that when he was birthed and when he had any kind of sense, he didn't say, hey, by the way, mom and dad, I am the son of God. I think something he grew. I, know, I think when he was young, he knew there was something special and probably a lot of dialoguing going on between Mary and Joseph. As soon as the child could understand, Jesus, you're, you're special. Well, why am I so special? Well, let me tell you what happened. And so all that kind of die. And then with that input, and it seems that Joseph and Mary are very um, devoted to Judaism. They're going to all the mandatory feasts. So no doubt, Joe is telling him all about the different feasts and the festivals. Hey, Pop, why do we celebrate, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, God, this is why, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and I think that's where he got a lot of his wisdom. I think he grew into, and, and I think one of, I can make an argument that he didn't fully understand everything because I wonder if he would have asked a question in the garden. My God, if there's any other way. Well, there wasn't any way, and he should have known that. Did he have to be told by the ministering angel, no, this is the only way? See, there's a lot of unanswered questions. 
But what it seems to point to, though he, though he was fully human, he was fully God, he was going to be the Lamb of God, he was still learning at the age of 12. He was still taking in information, even, even who he was. He was still taking it in. You know, uh, there's uh, something to be said of Jesus when he was dialoguing with um, with the Pharisees one in John seven fifteen for your notes, the Jews marvel, saying, How knoweth this man letters? And he's never learned. Wait, how's this guy how's he have all this wisdom? He's never been to any of our rabbinical schools. He's not even a candidate to go to one of them. So how is it that he's so learned? And then Jesus answered and he said, Listen, my doctrine it's not mine, but it's from him that sent me. And if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether I be of God or whether I speak of myself. And this is Jesus saying he's learned doctrine from God. And if you were his, you would know that doctrine to be true. Psalms one nineteen ninety nine. I just stumbled across this this week. It says, I have, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. All my understanding of all my teaching, I get by sitting alone with him. He is my meditation. I meditate. Even the psalmist would say, Medi- I meditate day and night upon your word. And gang, that's where we learn to grow and increase in the knowledge of God. Sometimes you send kids off to Bible school or any kind of college, and when they come home, they're so twisted up, they don't know if they believe or not. But let me tell you something. Our great counselor, sitting under his tutorage, you're never going to walk away confused or doubting. Does that make sense? The story goes on, and he says this, And when they saw him, oh, they were amazed. Mom and dad were amazed. His mother said to him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Why have you freaked us out? Behold, your father and and I, we have sought for thee sorrowing. The word sorrowing literally means we we were frantic. Man, and we've all been there, haven't we, when we thought we have lost one of ours. Especially when you're down the beach with them. Tell me this isn't true. This is how scary it gets. As soon as you think one of your kids are lost on the beach, where, what direction do you look at? Right. Why couldn't they just be getting a pizza up on the boardwalk? No, right away, we, we, we just were frantic and we look in the most dangerous places. Though for sure we're going to find them up, find them in the water. So he says... He says unto them, well, how is it that you're searching for me? You know, let me just paraphrase that. Why do you think, why do you need to search for me? That's what he's saying to him. This 12-year-old kid looking at mom and dad. Mom and dad's all wigged out. You know, you're scaring us. And he he goes, mom, dad, chill. Where else would I be? I'm going to bring that up in a minute. Don't you know, didn't you know that this is where I would be and this is where I would, I'm about my father's business. Verse verse 50, he says, and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was subjected to them. It just means that he tried to do his best to listen. And then Jesus increased 
um, in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. That seems to be the frame of Jesus' life. That frames him up. From verse 40, I think it was, that this little kid was growing and increasing, to verse 52 where he's increasing in wisdom and in stature with God. He's finding favor with God. So, let's just talk about this little section here uh, for a second. Of course, we know that this is taking place during um, a part of Jesus' lifetime. The, the only record we have of Jesus, was, like I had said earlier, we have him, uh, of course, being birthed in Bethlehem. And then at eight days, he is circumcised according to the law, around 40 days old. There is, he's dedicated, he's presented at the Temple Mount, and then around, um, and, then, and then there's... The idea of him being and Mary going through her rituals, and then and then um, this twelve years old. Now here he is in the temple from twelve years old to thirty years old. Um, there's nothing about 20, 28, 28 years, some twenty eight years, give or take. We have nothing, and and uh, and some would love to fill in that time. You know, some scholars have called this the silent years of Jesus. In fact, not too long ago, they did a documentary on the life of Christ, but it was called The Silent Years of Jesus. And oh my goodness, I wouldn't even recommend you wasting your time. They had him doing all sorts of things. Nothing biblically sounded whatsoever. I mean, it was even a stretch for the Catholic Bible. Um, it was just once the one he, uh, you know, he uh, found some um, hurting animals. He healed them. Another thing was he made these clay pigeons in the mud. He clapped his hands. They flew away. Uh, they had him traveling down into India with Joseph and Mary to learn under all the gurus that are in Hinduism. <laughs> it's like, oh, my goodness, you know. And um, I don't know, man. The only thing we have as far as those silent years from when he was being dedicated until um, he enters into that public ministry, which would be at 30 years old, this is the only thing we have of it at, at age 12. And, and there's no miracles involved here, you know, but there's so much to be said, though. One of the things that I want to raise to your attention is just how godly Mary and Joseph were. They were they they were not they were godly people. And I and I'll tell you there was a lot of things that they had to carry around because they were godly. You think about it. Mary's picture Mary's life is just a picture of godliness. Here comes this angel to Mary. She's sixteen years old, and she's and the angel says, Mary, you know, you've been highly favored. You've been highly favored. That which is in you is of the Holy Spirit. And uh, she would even question it later on. How can that be since I don't know a man? Now, the reason why I think she's such a precious person, she's only, again, 16 years old. I can't imagine that this news would be something easy to accept. At, you know, at 16 years, 16 year old kids do not deal with the same things, the same pressures as a 16 year old did back in the biblical days. At 16 years old, they are so aware of their reputation. 
And they have their whole lives mapped out. They are going, their parents are going to pick out a great guy for them. There's going to be a dowry set in place. And this man's going to be able to be able to afford it. And then the next stage, he's actually going to start to kind of date me and get to know me. The betrothal pyramid, period. Then later on, the whole thing will be set in stage. He's going to call for me and we'll consummate our marriage. We'll begin to have kids together. And my husband's going to lead me to the tabernacle. This 16-year-old girl has all this glorious and grander plans in place. All to be foiled, dropped. By one visitation from an angel. Mary. You've been highly favored. Among many. I can't imagine. The emotional issues going through her. Is she worried about her reputation now? Is there going to be a moral issue that would be brought up? Will there be a physical thing that is attached to it? Will her name be slandered all these years trying to keep my name pure? She will be known as the one who got pregnant during her betrothal years. She will, be, she will have to grow up in this time period. She will have to grow up knowing she's innocent and that she is going to have to trust God. They're going to slander her. They're going to slander Jesus because of her. Oh, yeah, there was a time in Jesus' ministry where they were, he was dialoguing with the religious leaders. He was getting the best of them, and their comeback was this. Well, at least we're not the son of a fornicator. They called him a bastard. That mom of yours, you're going to still try to sell the bit of goods that she was a virgin and, and it was God, it was the Holy Spirit. And she had to grow up with that. Knowing she was innocent. She would have to trust God with her very life. To be found with child during those days could even mean it would mean their lives, honestly. According to some of the rabbinical laws, man, they, if someone was found with child outside of betrothalment, without being married to someone, yeah, some of them would actually be stoned to death, depending upon the family. She's growing up with this. Maybe even after she realized she indeed was pregnant, was she thinking, will this cost me Joseph? Will this cost me my, my husband? The one I was going to live the rest of my life with. You know, sometimes I like to go back in my mind, you know, think, what was this like for this young lady? Her whole life being stripped away by one little visitation. And yet she had enough faith to say, so let it be done unto your maidservant. If this is what I've got to take, if I've got to surrender everything that I know to be important to me, if I've got to surrender everything I know that is pure to me, surrender it all, God, I will surrender it all just to be your maidservant. Imagine if there were kids like that today. Willing to live a surrendered life for Christ. Hard to find, isn't it? Let it be done, she says. If I had to just use one word or a phrase to describe this young woman, 
it would be one who had a surrendered life. She just said yes. She would surrender it all. An unsurrendered life as a believer will get you nowhere. It truly will get you nowhere. In fact, one who says, hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm a believer. Yo, I was born again. And without surrendered life unto him, they're the ones that even doubt their own salvation. Yeah, Jesus dealt with that. Young rich ruler, remember that story? Where he comes and he says, hey, good master. And I love Jesus. He, he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, why you call me good? There's none good save one except for God. So either Jesus was saying, I'm no good or I'm God. You know the commandments, he says to this young man. Don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he responds back to Jesus and he says, I've done this. All, since my youth, I've I've kept them all. When Jesus heard these things, he said, yeah, but there's just something you're still lacking. I want you to go and sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasures in heaven and then come and follow me. You want to follow me? Go surrender everything you know that's important to you. Just Mary, you've got to surrender all that. You've got to surrender this idea about your husband and about purity and about having a good reputation. You've got to surrender all that if you want to follow me. What says of this young man, when he heard this, he walked away very sorrowful. For he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was so sorrowful, he said, man, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the rest of the disciples heard that, they went, oh, my goodness, well, then who can be saved? There are those who play around with this idea, the eye of the needle. And they say it was a little doorway in the walls of Jerusalem that they purposely left open for those that would come during the evening. All the city gates were locked up except for the eye of the needle. But in order to get through this eye of the needle, you would have to take your camel apart. You'd have to take all the baggage. You'd have to get the camel on his knees and get him through that little tiny entranceway. And then you would shimmy through it. Look it up. Look it up in the Greeks. Strong's, Thayer, Westcock doesn't mean any such thing. It means an eye threading in a needle with a thread. She's saying it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it without a surrender life. How many times do we hear people trying to enter in, trying to hold on to all that they know is the world? They don't want to let go of the world, but man, I still want to, I think I am going to heaven. You don't know how many times I hear when I ask the question, hey, if you were to die today, you're going to heaven? I hope so. That's scary words, folks. Hope. Listen, there's a lot of things I doubt, folks. <laughs> but my salvation, man, is I have never doubted that since 1973. I knew to be absent from this old carcass would to be in the presence of God. And lately, I'm kind of <laughs> inviting it. <laughs> you with me, guys? It's awful quiet in here. So if I had to describe her, I would say she was one who had a surrendered life. Let's look at Joseph for a little bit, okay? 
I think Joseph, and he's the foster father. He's not the biological father. Most of you know that. After Jesus' birth, he would then have a relationship with Mary, and they would have sons and daughters. They would be Jesus' half-brothers and half-sisters. But um, he would be considered Jesus' foster father. I think he would be a great dad. I think, and again, please, these are my words, I think he's unappreciated in the Bible. I really do. I think he was a committed father. I see that. I think he was a godly man. Of course, we see that. He's always taking his family to the mandatory feast. I know that he loves Mary with all his heart. He loved Mary from the beginning, loved her all the way to the very end. We don't know when he died. There's no record of that anywhere. But I know when he had that right to take her to the Temple Mount, to have this whole betrothal thing annulled, he said, I love you too much, Mary, and we'll do this privately. We'll do this so no one will know. He's probably a man who had a broken heart, didn't know this thing. Come on, Mary, stop with this God thing. Stop with this angel thing. You know, he did not believe it at first, but he still loved her. Husband, even. He still loved her. And it was in a dream that God would interrupt. And he would say, Joseph, do not be afraid to take your wife Mary unto yourself. For that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. This is a God child. He woke up from that dream and his life was changed. His outlook was changed. He knew that he was called to be a committed father, to be a godly father to him. And he would love Mary all the way, even through all the accusations, all the slander. He was a godly, godly man. There was all kinds of of his reputation being pulled into questions, I'm sure. All kinds of rumors you know, oh, there's Joseph. He's the one who, his, that so-called wife of his is saying she was impregnated by, the, by God. I'm sure he heard that over and over. And yet, even though she might have been, well, it could have been more shame and more disgrace and even the possibility of death, he still stood by her side. At first, again, as I said earlier, he was not going to marry her. Everything around this guy, if I had to put his life at this particular time, if I had to wrap it around just one kind of a phrase or so, it would be he was a problem uh, obedience or maybe self-sacrifice. He was gentle. He was kind. He was humbled. Maybe he was overlooked in the scriptures. We know that Joseph was a hard-working man. He was a carpenter. Again, during a dialogue with some of the rabbis, and, they were, and Jesus again was getting the best of them, he said in a sense, and I'll paraphrase, why are we listening to him? Isn't he the son of a carpenter? And to me, to me it's amazing too, within the gospel, Jesus is, Jesus is also titled a carpenter. He learned his dad's trade. What's that tell you? It wasn't just Mary and Jesus, baby Jesus hanging and trying to work. Joseph was a part of his life in a large way. 
he would learn a trade from his dad. And being a carpenter back in, listen, I appreciate carpenters. I just saw last weekend, we had a handful of them here putting in windows. There are some rough guys. But I'll tell you, carpenters back then, they didn't have Home Depot. Now Home Depot delivers for you. Now they would go find a piece of wood. They would hewn it out right on the spot. They'd throw it on their shoulders. They would carry it to wherever they're framing a window or putting in a door. They were some rugged, rugged people. Hey, I wonder what Jesus' hands really did look like when they pierced them. I don't think they looked like someone that used dubbed hand cream all their lives. You know, a rugged guy. I believe Jesus was pretty tough. It was Joseph, man, when the, um, the angel came to him and Herod was seeking the life of babies. You know, he would come to Joseph, not Mary. He would go to Joseph and say, Joe, you got to get baby Jesus out of here. You have to go down into Egypt and wait there until, you, until I tell you to come back. He doesn't go to Mary. He goes to Joseph, the man. And I just, again, think as he's getting up, because it was a dream, they're sleeping, it's night. He shakes Mary, and he says, Mary, get Jesus up. we got to go. Well, where are we going, Joe? Just get him quickly. Somebody wants to kill him. We're out of here. And they fled to Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, and Herod's killing all those that are two and under, after Herod himself dies, an angel comes again. He doesn't go to Mary. He goes to Joseph again. Joseph is the head of his family. Even as greatly as Mary was used, as saintly as Mary, godly, self-sacrificed, God still desires to use the man of the family. And it's a shame when God can't. It's a shame that he can't raise up godly men to lead their home. And there are a number of reasons why it's so. Something maybe that you take to the prayer closet. Mary and Joseph are very committed to raising this child. Again, just to kind of wrap up our, our message today. Again, eight days he circumcised. Forty days the dedication. Twelve years old, we see him at this feast. 140 mile trip they're making back and forth, back and forth. They would raise Jesus in a very humble way. And the thing I want to say at this point is they are not powerful people. They are not rich people. They're not people of pristine status. They are just normal people. In fact, you could wager on the fact they might even been lower middle income or even lower income. They're not about money. And it's a shame the church today has made it about money. Hey, did, did you pay your taxes? Oh, yeah. And Jesus has to bail Peter out. But where do they find their tax money? In the mouth of a fish. Jesus would say, uh, the birds in the air, they have their nests. The, the, the fox, they have their holes to make their, their dens. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He was not a rich man. Paul the Apostle lost everything. Peter lost everything. All the disciples, most of them, died a martyr's death. So wherever this health and wealth stuff comes from, you might want to reconsider it. Blessed are the poor. I know it says poor in spirit, but I think there's a blessedness. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to make the best of things. Just don't equate it to your spirituality. Amen? 
He's raised by a carpenter. He has half-brothers and sisters. Raised in Nazareth, which would be also called, you know that town on the other side of the track. They're the ones that have the crazy dialogue. Nathaniel would say, can anything really good come out of Nazareth? Kind of gives you an idea that Jesus wasn't born in Beverly Hills or Cherry Hill, whatever hill. Might have came out of Virga. Oh. Where's Virga? It's right now over there. It's like 10 houses. You just... <laughs> I think what framed his life during this time was verse 40 and 42, how he grew and he increased. They finally find him. They were astonished. They brought him back. He's growing. He's submitting himself to his mom and dad. But both mom and dad are growing just as Jesus is growing. Lessons to be learned. My closing. First lessons for young people. If this were ever to happen to you, would your parents or relatives know where to find you? Where would they find you? Jesus even questioned Mary and Joseph. You should have known where I've been. I would be here about my father's business. Learning and increasing in knowledge. See, it doesn't matter where you come from, guys. I came from just a little street over here. My father was a blue-collar worker. It was not a leave it to beaver home. Or you might say, I came from a very well-to-do white collar. Dad loved us with all our heart, with his heart. No, nothing like you, the way you were raised. Yeah, that, that's good. And my, you know, I really, I think that's wonderful. Rich, poor, doesn't matter. We're all called to grow and increase in knowledge. And it doesn't matter what age you are. That's why it's a, it is a shame. And I, oh, please forgive me if you think I'm judgmental. Now I'm speaking for me. I think it's, it's very sinful to keep your kids away from church where they can grow and, and learn. I almost think it's sinful. And I really, really struggle with this, just having family devotions. I was always so busy working one or two jobs, trying to be a pastor. And I thought that, and my kids suffered the most because just never had that time. Dad be rolling in around 12 o'clock after painting a car so they could get, pay their bills. And I left that up to, to Irma. But as dads, we are called to nurture our children, to get them in Sunday school, and to tell them what is priority, what is number one. For Jesus, this 12-year-old boy, what was important to him was that he would grow and increase. Second point's for parents. Don't hinder them from growing. Don't stop them. I want to read something that I just read out of a book, and it's a, a, almost a direct quote. It was at a missionary's convention, and the speaker said this. Do you want to know what the greatest danger to foreign missions is, particularly in the United States? It's not debauchery. It's not fame. It's not fortune. Um, it's parents. 
is the greatest threat to foreign missions. As we look at the world and we go, oh my goodness, I can't let my kid go out. Oh my goodness, I can't let them go off to church without me. Oh my goodness. And you see and you know there's something special with that child and you want to see them grow. And hopefully they are. There are times where you have to be like Mary and Joseph and let go. Keep an eye on them. But let go and let God. Because God can use them in a tremendous way. I know a woman today where she was saved at four years old. When she was three, there was a word of prophecy over her that she would be greatly used in the kingdom of God. And today she is. That's how young God can call people into the ministry. The greatest threat to missionary, missionary endeavors or to the pastorate, whatever it is, sometimes it's parents. And you want to know what the number one reason is today? They have to go to college. So you force them to go to college. They learn everything that's anti-Christ. You accumulate a college debt. Then they've got to work 20, 30 years to pay off that debt. And by that time, the college has already convinced them there is no God. And everything we have done for 12 years in their lives, trying to get them to Sunday school, has just been flushed down the toilet. If you don't think that's true, there's a book out there. It's written by Ken Ham of why they are leaving. Pick it up. Read it. It's very, very sobering for parents. Thirdly, just take it serious about what God has called you to do. Whether you are young or whether you're old, take it serious. Continue to grow. You, you got to remember, it's not overnight, but take it serious. Take it, it's almost the most important thing in your life is to grow in this knowledge of who God is, to grow in this knowledge of his word so that if someone comes to you and say, hey, what gives? Why do you have all this hope? Everything around me says, you know, it's an oxymoron with you. That nothing makes sense. Can you? And you're able, because you've just taken your time to grow and increase through the word, through prayer, through fellowship. And lastly, Rich, if you will make your way out here. Don't grow impatient. Don't grow impatient. Jesus is 12 years old. Dialoguing with some of the most brilliant men. Answering questions and asking questions. And the people around him, they're just mind bogged down. Wow, listen to this guy. Boy, his pop must have invested a lot into him. How does he have all that? And you would think, wow, at that age, let's get him a pulpit. Let's put him right in the ministry. Get him up on the worship team. Let's use him. He knows John 3.16. Jesus doesn't enter a ministry till he's 30. From 12 to 30, he's still growing. And I'm not saying in everyone's life it's that, it's that time period or that's some kind of formula. All I'm saying is just be patient when God calls you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. 
You might have highs. You might have lows. You might think I just disqualified myself. And then you're repenting and you're doing all this kind of up and down. And all of a sudden a door opens and you realize you're in the garden of Eden with God. And he's revealing what he wants you to, to do for him. And you might pray almost the same prayer. Oh, wait. Whoa, whoa. If there is any other way. But ultimately you'll say, not my will be done. Your will be done. Let's stand together. The next time we see Jesus, it'll be 28 years later, he's going to be walking down into uh, the Jordan River. And he is going to make, he's going to meet a biblical hippie. This guy's going to have long hair. He's going to be eating locusts and honey. And there's going to be Locusts in his beard and sandals. That's a hippie, right? But I just can't wait to do that, that account with you. Especially when Jesus tells John, so that the scriptures are fulfilled, John, you have to baptize me. Let's worship.